what we want to do here is uh, look at this, this example of forgiveness. Again, you guys are probably getting tired of this uh, topic of forgiveness, but the Bible has so many, uh, has so many lessons on it. It's uh, really the center of the gospel. If you were to think about what is the gospel all about, it's about the creator of the universe. We've sinned against him, and then uh, we have been forgiven by him, right? Forgiveness, all of us have experienced being on both sides. We have hurt people, ourselves, I've hurt others, and then there's times where others have hurt me. We've been on both sides. There's times that I need to be forgiven, and there's times that I need to forgive others. And this is what makes it so difficult, is that it seems like uh, we expect others to want to forgive me, but I have a hard time forgiving them. And we have a way of justifying, well, they hurt me more. What they did to me was more, more worser. It was, it was, it was, it was more severe, right? That's the kind of stuff that, that we justify. And uh, what Jesus does in multiple examples, if you guys were hearing this you were probably thinking, didn't we just have this lesson where there were two people who owed money? It's like, we just heard that. But Jesus gives a different story, but a same type of principle. So we're going to spend some time on that, and I hope that uh, it blesses you as uh, we work through this. Go to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees, and if you remember, a Pharisee was the religious leaders. They were kind of like the preachers. They knew the Bible, they taught the Bible, and they many times were confronting people to live according to the Bible, but they also had their own kind of traditions that they also followed. And it says that there was a Pharisee was requesting Jesus to dine with him. Come to my house and eat with me. And that word he was requesting, it seems like it was... Uh, Hey, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. It wasn't like once that he asked it. It was requesting. It was a, a continual, like, I need you to, to come to my house. I want to have you over to my house. And if you guys, those of you that have studied the Bible, what you realize is that the Pharisees, up to this point by chapter 7, they were already um, accusing Jesus of blasphemy, they were already accusing Jesus of saying he must be a sinner because he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Um, um, they've already accused him of, of saying he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and uh, they were accusing him of breaking their Sabbath rules and, and some of those kinds of things. And they were already filled with rage, chapter 6 and verse 11. They were already had it with him. And so this is, you can already tell that this is not a, um, this is not a, like, I like Jesus and I want him over to my house. That's, that's not this type of uh, situation. This is more of the idea 
let's trap him. Let's have him over. I can kind of have, I, I can pose some questions. We can have some things that are brought up and uh, we'll get this going. And so that's more of what, what you see here. But what's interesting is that Jesus does go with him and enters the house and reclines at the table. Think about that. He knows it's a setup. Jesus knows that, that this guy doesn't have his best interest. Jesus knows that this guy is probably trying to trap him. He already knows that, and yet he still goes and eats with this guy. This guy is probably an enemy, right? This guy is an enemy, and yet Jesus goes to just show us that Jesus loves sinners. And even though this person would... would seem like in the society that they're, that they're lifted up, that they're really a religious, a moral person, Jesus is going to show just how uh, sinful he is as well. So when it says that Jesus came to his house and he reclined at the table, now that might not make much sense to us because we say sit at the table, but in their times they would recline if it was like a feast. They would lay down, and it was sort of like this was a couch type that sat up, and then they would have, and they could make this as big as they wanted. Uh, if they wanted to make it as big as this, like a big courtyard, um, in the next slide you can see how um, it's a bigger courtyard where it's, it's pretty big. So if you were wealthy, you would have your rooms on the, on the sides, and then in the middle, like you would have sort of a U-shaped or a square-shaped house. And in the middle, you could have a courtyard or a big opening. And then what they would do is they would have these couches that would sit up and then tables. And you would lay down and eat like this. And, and so that's, that's, what they would, that's what they would do there. Um, and they kept their feet, which were the dirtiest parts of their, their bodies because they were wearing sandals and walking everywhere, <clears throat> they would keep their feet away from the table. They would, they would lay down and keep their feet towards the back. And that's important because you're going to see how this, this lady is going to come. But it says that Jesus goes and he reclines at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. The way that the Bible puts this, that she was a sinner. It doesn't tell us specifically what sin. Most people, most scholars, most uh, people that have studied this out, they say the way that it's worded, most likely a prostitute. Most likely a prostitute. And uh, that, was, that, that was prostitution was, was going on back then, just like it goes on today. And uh, so you had the tax collectors, you had prostitutes, you had um, people that were stealing and robbing. And so it points her out. This, this woman was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So... It sounds like that if a rabbi or a teacher came to one of these big dinners, that other people could kind of join in because it was a big courtyard. And so 
it wasn't unusual for people to, to make their way in and kind of sit along the outsides to want to listen. But it would be unusual for a prostitute to come to a Pharisee's house. He would not have anything to do with her because she was in violation of God's laws. And, uh, and so that would have been unusual for her to go there. But it says that she heard, she heard that Jesus was there. And so she came into that courtyard area. So if you guys can visualize this, it will help understand just, just what's going on. And it says that she also brought an alabaster vial. Now, this was, was sort of like a pottery type thing that was filled usually with pretty expensive perfumes. Like, you know, perfume even today, colognes, those are not cheap, right? But you can imagine that it was still super expensive for them back then, which is another reason that some people believe that this was a prostitute because prostitution can make good money. I mean, they can make a lot of money. Uh, there was a, 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 one of the ladies that I knew in college, and she worked at a place in Denver, and uh, she was telling me about a time that she made $5,000 in a weekend. And so that's something that, that you can understand that this is no, no small thing. And so this perfume was, was expensive, like this was valuable. This is something that, uh, that you could see that, that she was bringing this on purpose. When she heard he was there, she prepared and was bringing this perfume to him. Then what it says is she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And it says in verse 38, standing behind Jesus at his feet. You see, we don't pay attention to those words sometimes, but if you are thinking of Jesus reclining, eating, you're like, how is she standing at his feet? Well, if you remember that these couches were sort of elevated, now you can imagine Jesus, the, the table is over there, his feet are sticking towards the back, and she's coming up, behind his feet so she's not even uh, Jesus's face would be facing that way she's coming up from behind him and at the back of the the table right so again you're trying to visualize what's going on in this situation so it says she was standing behind his at his feet weeping and that word there for weeping it means it's been used as raining, like rain, like when it starts raining down. She was weeping as if raindrops were coming onto Jesus' feet. That's the word there, is it was raining. She was raining, like crying drops of rain type on his feet. So it says that she began weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. 
So what's interesting about this is um, you're thinking these are, these are kind of interesting acts that are being done here. And uh, because ultimately what was supposed to happen when you invited somebody into your house, there were, there were things that were done, and uh, one of them was to wash people's feet. But, but we see just a, an overall attitude here of she is crying and uh, hurting, and she is trying to, to, it says she was weeping. Now, we're going to talk about that here in a second. I want you to think about this. She's crying over his feet and, and washing washing his feet with her hair. And I didn't realize it really, I guess maybe I had read it before, but, but it was saying that um, when you think about the Jewish culture, they were supposed to wear their hair up. And so only the, the prostitutes and, and like when a wife was with her husband, then she would let her hair down and those kind of things. But just everyday life <clears throat> out in the public, the Jewish women would keep their hair up. Well, here she is. She has got her hair down, which would be as in, in their culture shameful. It would, it would be shameful to, to show this hair down. And yet she is washing wiping his feet with her hair. And then to, to anoint this, um, uh, his feet with this perfume, what you see is that um, when, you, when you look at this perfume, you would have to break the bottle. You would have to break it off. It was completely sealed because if you leave it open, the smell would like dissipate, dis would disappear. Like, you know, in your car when you have one, it just kind of dies out. So you really have to keep it in the package to make sure it's nice and fresh and, and it smells right. That's what they would do. They would seal it. So they would break it. And then for her to, to anoint his feet, it's, it's a, a, a tremendous gift, a, a great sign of appreciation is what she's showing here. And um, when, we, when we look at the way that it words it, it said that she kept wiping. Like this was not a like wetting his feet and then just sort of wiping it off. This was a continual process of wiping his feet. Because remember, if you guys have been out running around barefooted for any length of time, your feet just, just get filthy right? It, our feet get filthy and, and uh, sometimes you can even have barefooted on, on carpet and on, on your floor and you look underneath their feet and they're all black and, and uh, things like that. So you can imagine that, that people are, that this is, she's really trying to wash his feet and, and cleanse them. And so it's a continual wiping. And then it says she was kissing his feet, once again, that's a continual kissing. It's not a once kissing it like one-time appreciation, but it's over and over just kissing his feet. And then it says anointing his feet. This was, again, not a one-time thing. Over and over pouring it on there, it would bring uh, a good smell. 
right, to, to the situation. Our feet stink when we when we're, have shoes on or sandals on. And so she was putting this perfume type, uh, good smelling oil that would be on his feet. So as we look at this, we see that she is showing him tremendous love, tremendous appreciation. And in the same respect, she is putting herself out there on a limb because she heard that Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. I'm a prostitute. So just to go there would be difficult. And then to do this act, can you imagine what are people going to think about me? What are people going to say about me? What are people going to you know, think if, if they see me bring down my hair, if they see me crying and weeping and, and, and all in front of them? And what are they going to say, right? What, are they going to even let me be there? Are they going to kick me out? Are they going to, you know, what? You got to try to think about her. And so she goes there and we see Simon. In verse 43, I'm sorry, not verse 43. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, notice he didn't say it out loud. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, which is what people were calling him is a prophet. So he's thinking to himself, as I'm watching this prostitute do all these things to Jesus, you know it had to cause a scene. Everybody's watching. If this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. You see, this is, this is something that he is saying she is a sinner. And then, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know what you're thinking. Jesus answered him, Simon, so the guy's name is Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. So he gives him a parable. He's going to give him a parable, give him an example. And so what we see here is a woman like this at Jesus' feet. It's like, do you know what kind of woman this is? Jesus says, I got a parable. I'm going to tell you something. Got a story. Say it, teacher. He said there was a, a money lender, a guy who loans out money. He had two debtors, two people who owed him money. One of them 500 denarii and the other one 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? All right, back to our, our two debtors, right? Owed lots of money. Let's look at it. One of them owed 500 denarii. Remember, a denarii was one day salary of average wages. A denarii was one day. He owed 500 denarii, which would be about 20 months of salary, which is almost two years worth of debt. Today's estimated value may be 58,000-ish. $58,000 if you're a day labor, day labor type. 
That's a lot of money to be in debt. To $58,000 in debt. And so one person owed five hundred, says the other person owed fifty. So five hundred versus fifty. Fifty denarii would be about two months. Not quite, but almost two months, a month and a half or so. Today's estimated value about five thousand eight hundred dollars. Okay? So one person over fifty thousand, one person about five thousand. And he says, the debtor forgave them both because both of them couldn't pay up. They both owed one a little, one a lot, and yet both of, neither one of them could pay. So the debtor says, both of you guys are forgiven. Now, Jesus questions the Pharisee. Remember, he's an educated guy. He's an educated guy, and he says, which one do you think loved him more? Which one do you think showed more love to the money lender? And if you notice the way that uh, Simon answered, verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose, like, really, I mean, unless you have some kind of trick question here, Jesus, uh, you know, I suppose the one who forgave more. That's the the most logical, if you've been forgiven a lot more, you would think you would have more appreciation and more love. And Jesus told him, you are correct. You've judged correctly. You're right. Not a trick question. The one who's forgiven much would love more than one who's forgiven little. You see, that's the point that, that Jesus is trying to get here. So then... Now that he's got that story, that visual in his mind, he says, okay, verse 44, now turning to the woman. So he's been, again, Jesus is facing this way. The woman is behind his feet, carrying on, and he's on his elbow, eating, talking to the Pharisee. Now, after talking, now he turns to the woman. You see, now he turns to her. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Doesn't call her a sinner, does he? Do you see this woman? She's made in the image of God. She's, she is a person, a human being. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. You see, in their culture... When you invited somebody to your house, either you or a servant, one of the first things that you would do is at the door, you would wash their feet. You would take off their sandals and wash their feet. And then they could come into your house and have clean feet as they walked around. And uh, that, that was part of, part of the culture. That was just expected. He said, when I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Which again, remember, did he invite him over for good purposes or, you know, so he's not treating him like a guest. He didn't provide any water to, to wash his feet. So that means that Jesus' feet were pretty bad when this woman was washing his feet. You didn't provide water, but she, 
has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You talk about intimacy. You talk about from the depths of your soul that she was trying to show him an act of humility and kindness. She didn't know that he did, his feet hadn't been washed, but she was going to do it anyway. She was going to do it anyway. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss. Once again, part of their culture is you would welcome them in and kiss them on the cheek. That was, that was part of the culture. You guys have seen it like in Italy, right? They'll, people will kiss on each side, right? Uh, they're, they're sort of a greeting of, of a kiss. That was, that was customary. Welcome to my house. You gave me no kiss. And she has not stopped kissing my feet. A kiss is very intimate. We, we, in our society, sometimes we, we're like, oh, it's no big deal. But she is kissing his feet over and over. Not his head, but his feet. That's something that we, we see that he's, he's, Jesus is showing the contrast of Simon's actions versus her actions. Verse 46 you did not anoint my head with oil. Once again, part of their culture, they would anoint either their feet or their head because you were out walking and sweating and they would just kind of make, it was kind of refresher, refresh your feet, uh, greet you, put some sort of um, spritz on you or something like that, you know, just make it smell good before you came in. And so he's like, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. The oil would have been a cheap, kind of a cheaper type spray uh, or oil. And what she did was something expensive. You didn't do the cheap. She went with the super expensive. So there's this huge contrast of what, what Simon did versus what she did. Just a huge difference in Jesus in verse 46 says that, that you, you didn't even anoint my head and she, she anointed my feet. For this reason, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. I know it took a long time to get to that point, but that's the whole point of this lesson. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. When we, when we examine this, this lesson here, what you're going to see is a woman who has been forgiven much. Both people owed. Both people were in debt. Both people couldn't pay. And both people were forgiven. He says, who do you think will love more? The one who has forgiven more. What's interesting here is, I have always read this, that she came to Jesus seeking forgiveness. But as I have studied this again, I kind of think that she's already forgiven. 
You see, she's already been forgiven. So Jesus out, out town, out around and about, he had already forgiven this lady. And now she's motivated to come to this Pharisee's house and is motivated. She's not weeping tears of sadness over her sin. She's doing what? She's weeping tears of thanksgiving, of joy. You see, her, her actions are based upon what Jesus had done. He had forgiven her much. And because he had forgiven her much, that's why she was willing to chance being made fun of in a Pharisee's house. That's why she was willing to put her hair down and wipe his feet. That's why she was willing to, to give so much oil because she had already been forgiven. You see, that's the point is she had been forgiven much and her actions towards Jesus are reflecting how much she knew she had been forgiven. The Pharisee is also a sinner. He is also a sinner. But what he is seeing is that he is above. He's above her. She has lots of sins. And he would be considered as a righteous, a good man. So he would view himself as higher morally. He would view himself as higher in the rankings of God. And she would be low. So he would say, my sins would be little and her sins would be much. And so Jesus is going to show that, you know what? You can't pay your debt either. You can't pay your debt either. You're in debt. You have sins, and you can't pay it either. But you know what? You showed no love whatsoever to, to Jesus. No love whatsoever. And so as we think about this in our own lives, the difference between the prostitute and the Pharisee is she recognized her sins. She recognized how sinful she was and how much she had been forgiven. You see, when you realize that I have been forgiven this much and I could never repay it, then I want to show you my gratitude. I want to show you just how thankful I am because, again, we, we talked about this last week. You could be sold into slavery. Your kids could be sold into slavery. Everything that you have could be thrown into jail, right? I mean, this was serious business. You can't just call bankruptcy and, and be like, hey, I'm not paying. Come and repo my ride and I'm out of it. That's not it. This was serious. And so if somebody just forgave you your debt, how grateful would you be? And so it should reflect. And here's what I want us to think about in your own life. If you guys think about the way that you live your life towards Christ, what do you do for Christ? What do you do for Christ? If you feel like you do a little bit for Christ, then most likely in your mind you feel like you have been forgiven 
a little bit. If you feel like you can never give enough for Christ and I do this and I want to do more and I want to do that and I want to go worship him, I want to give my money for him and his causes, I want to encourage his people, I want to help others, I want to learn more about Jesus, I want to spend more time with Jesus, I want to pray to him more, I want to... It will depend on how much you believe you've been forgiven. If you, be, if you feel like you've been forgiven little then it will reflect on how much you do for Jesus. If you're doing little for Jesus right now, it's probably because you feel like you've been forgiven little. If you're doing much, it's probably because you feel like you have been forgiven much. I hope that's the motivation anyway. Hope that you realize you cannot earn your way to heaven. It's not about working your way to heaven. Remember, she's already been forgiven. She's already, it's what what Jesus already did. Remember the debt, both of them owed debt. The debtor, the, 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 the money lender forgave both of them. It's already been done. But what then? What then? That's where the motivation comes in. Is you guys are, each of us have to look at our own lives. And if you're struggling to make it to worship, if you're struggling to, to give of your money, if you're struggling to pray, if you're struggling to forgive others, if you're struggling to, to want to spend time with Christ and his people and be a part of his work, then maybe it's because I don't feel like I've been forgiven that much. I was thinking, I I was reading on this, and this guy by the name of Lawrence Richards, he said, I admire those sensitive souls who are so moved by the sufferings of our Redeemer. He said, I think about my Christian barber, Ralph. Often as Ralph stood over me cutting my hair, he would talk about the agonies which the Savior endured. Then with his tears falling on the cloth that covered me, he would say, I don't know why Jesus was willing to die for me. I'm such a wretch. I can't believe that Jesus took all of the penalty of my sin and took it on the cross. This guy Lawrence, he says, he goes, I I think of the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet and wiped with her hair, kissed his feet, anointed his feet. He said, even though I live on the other side of the cross, you see, Jesus hasn't died for her yet. Jesus hasn't died for her yet. He said, we live on the other side of the cross. She was more in tune emotionally than I am with all of my superior knowledge and privilege. I have been able to see what Jesus did on the cross. I've been able to see how much Jesus sacrificed on the cross. I've been able to see that God died for me. She didn't see that. And yet she was more in tune with how much she had been forgiven. And this is what Lawrence says. He goes, why am I such a block of ice? Is it that I have been brought up in a culture where it's considered unmanly to weep? If so, then I wish I had never known that culture. It is not a disgrace to weep in the shadow of Calvary. It is a disgrace 
to not weep. To think about what Jesus did and that doesn't bring me to tears. To think that what Jesus did doesn't bring me to compassion. It doesn't move me to, to sacrifice. It doesn't move me to love more. You see, that's ultimately what we have to think about in this teaching. When we focus on what Jesus has done for us, you're not feeling guilty about saying, oh, I need to go to worship. I feel so indebted and I feel so in love with Jesus Christ that I want to worship him. I want to give more for him. It changes everything. It changes your life if you will really reflect on that teaching of what Jesus has right there. But you have to come to the point where I see my sins as so terrible and so horrible that when we dismiss, yeah, I've hurt people, but, you know, they've hurt me worse. I know I've had some lies, but not like them. I know that I've had some bad thoughts, but I never, like, actually did it. I know that, that I haven't always done things for, for, for Jesus, but, you know, I mean, I, I, it's still, you know, still not bad. You see, we, we, we minimize. We minimize. And because of that, then when Jesus dies on the cross, I feel like, thanks, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. And in my mind, it's actually a little bit. But in reality... It was a huge debt that I owed, and I couldn't pay it. That's the reflection that we have to spend towards the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. And when you do that, then you will be willing to give, up it, give it all up. They'll say, you know what, Jesus, what do you want? And if he says, I want your life, I want you to give up your life, then he'll say, you ready to give it up? You repent, you turn away from that old life, and you're buried in the waters of baptism. You die to that old self, and you're resurrected to a new life. Now you belong to Jesus. And if he's the one telling you to worship, then I want to worship. If he's the one telling you to give, then I want to give. If he's the one telling you to forgive, then you forgive. If he's the one that's telling you to pray, then I pray because of his love for me. Amen? If you need to respond today, if you feel like you need prayers, if you need to become right with the Lord, then let's not wait. Let's think about all that he has done. As we have this opportunity to sing this song, let's make that decision to live for him because those who have been forgiven much will love much. Thank you.